The latest on the world game. This is 442 Insider. Hello and welcome to 442 Insider, where we take you behind the scenes at Australia's top football publication. This week we've been busier than Simon Hill's hair gel supplier, covering news on the Socceroos, the Hyundai A-League and international football. I'm Editor-in-Chief Paul Hansford and this week I'm joined by publisher Andy Jackson, Deputy Editor Trevor Trahan and by a special guest Stephanie Brantz. Stephanie's not just here as a visual treat for us, but she's joined us to talk about her new TV show Football Stars of Tomorrow, a new grassroots football show airing this Sunday 2pm on Channel 9. More on that later, but let's get down to business. Before we go on to the top stories on our website this week, I'd like to chat a little bit about two games that took place overnight, both shockers in their own rights first up guys uh newcastle jets had a bit of a shocker against uh pohang a bit of a shocker <laughs> yeah. i think we'll uh, we'll leave the, that just to say that the scoreline says everything really i mean I, I watched i was flicking between that and state of origin and, uh, <laughs> get him out of the room it's probably the only time where rugby league was was better to watch than the football because the jets were pretty bad it has to be said oh, um, for the queenslanders andy yeah exactly <laughs> um yeah pohang played really well Danielson was was excellent and you know the, the jets were missing a lot of players and i think what it shows though is is the fact that with this round of 16 game coming like right slap bang in the off season that, that the Australian teams are going to really struggle um, you know to, to get through now because what showed was that the Jets were just not really match ready No they um, look like a team in pre-season Yeah they? and the, well, it's, well they are you know and that, that's the problem so I think you know I, I think what they'll learn from that is the teams going in next season is they'll probably need to start their pre-season a little bit earlier and, and be raising their intensity earlier to be able to compete with that because they're not going to get any easy games in the last 16 so mm-hmm. and that was apparent last night they were missing players as well so that can Combined with the, the lack of sort of match readiness, I think um, really hurt them. Well, and the fact that Danielson chose to have one of his blinders, yeah. which doesn't always happen. Mm. Yeah. They're in a bit of a transitional period, aren't they, Newcastle Jets? And the last thing you want to be doing is having to play in Asian Champions League on top of that. Yeah, I was going to say it couldn't happen at a worse time. It seems like they're getting a bit of momentum and uh, getting it a little bit back after the, the disastrous kind of... Uh, Championship defence season, but um. yeah, I felt a bit sorry for Ben Kennedy because he'd actually been doing really well up till then, and uh, he, you know most of their, their the players they were missing were in the centre of the defence and their, their defensive players, and uh, he didn't really get a lot of uh, a lot of protection last night, and mm. uh, you know that's the sort of thing that hopefully he'll uh, he'll get back onto the training ground and get his confidence back. And then obviously the other game that took place overnight was the um, the end to Spain's unbeaten run. Just after they broke the record, they came up against powerhouses USA. <laughs> the soccer stars of America. That was a soccer goal assist. <laughs> um, and uh, yes, they ended up coming out two 0 And uh, you know, in, in parts, it could have been could have been more. The referee wasn't up to much, was he? That's a massive shock that result, and especially with Spain. Spain aren't one of those teams like Brazil who sort of flitting and out of form. They've been on form for years, haven't they? So for USA to win that, it's a massive surprise. Yeah. It was a full strength Spanish side as well. You know, there's no, there was no uh, sort of second string or players being rested. You know, you look at the lineup and it is, it's pretty much their first choice. Um, they're sending off. I mean, I, I flicked on this morning when I got up, for, and I caught probably the last 25 minutes. The sending off was one of the worst sendings off I've ever seen. It was just a, a yeah, his foot wasn't raised, his studs weren't showing. It was just a block tackle. Um, and the ref just gave him a straight red card. It was mm. it was uh, awful. And there was there was also a couple of um, 
couple of offsides that were given against the Americans in the last 10 minutes that were blatantly onside by two or three yards. And I think, I think the danger at the moment is we've seen too many linesmen erring on, you know, giving the benefit of that to the defence, and it should be the other way around. And they're, they're certainly very quick to raise their flags at the moment, which, you know, as, particularly as, as forwards are getting quicker and are playing on the shoulder of the last defender a lot, you know, players like Torres and, you know, and Drogba and people like that, I really think that the linesmen start, need to start giving the benefit of that to the attackers yeah. a bit more. Steph, do you think, um, obviously, bit of a wake-up call for Spain and, and maybe for Italy as well who were abysmal in the tournament it's uh, it's almost quite advantageous to, to have this happen a year out from the World Cup and uh, knock any of the cobwebs out I think so because it does uh, give them a very hard sharp look at what they what they need to work on but I mean above all else te- tactical and technical and whatever you like to say being beaten by America lordy yeah can you imagine what I, what I would have given to hear the American commentary yeah. Sensational. Oh, and it's zip zip and OT, and we'll go to PKs. <laughs> offensive play. Yeah. But no, you're right. Um, it's given, well, Italy got a couple of shocks. I mean, Egypt going over the top of them um, as well. Mm. It's massive. So, I wonder if uh, they get like an almost like a get out of jail card because it was such, because it was against America, they can call it a bit of an aberration. And if it had been against France or someone like that, they could have. That's uh, a bit harsh. <laughs> Yeah, well, I think, what, I think what, the, what the Confederations Cup has shown again is that you know it's a wake-up call for every team, I think, um, and also motivated to the to the second and, and even third tier nations that they can go and beat the the favourites on their day. You know, yeah, and I yeah. think that's the. I mean, interestingly enough, one of the goals was scored by uh, Josie Altador, is actually now playing in La Liga for Villarreal. Yeah, he's only nineteen, and I've, I've listened to the BBC. Their their sort of US correspondent Sean Wheelock has been raving about this kid for for a good couple of years and he was playing in the MLS at 17 I think and uh, he's now playing in La Liga and against uh, in the same side as Cap de Villa who he uh, turned for the first goal yeah, so he's uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. We're moving on to uh, some of the main stories that made headlines on our website this week. Um, a man close to your heart, Trevor, Graham Arnold. Um, <laughs> Central Coast Mariners have been flirting a little bit with Arnie, even though they're still employing Laurie McKenna as boss. Uh, we ran a story about that. What, what's the latest on... So, yeah, I mean, openly flirting, openly saying, you know, it would be silly if we weren't speaking to Graham Arnold, which sounds like a silly thing for, to, to say in general. Yeah, I mean, they've got Laurie there and he's on a long-term deal he's, he's signed a five-year deal so it'd be quite expensive for them to pay him out mm. whereas um, Arnold's locked into the FFA till the end of the World Cup but what they're saying is that Laurie might have one more season and then Arnie coming after and it'd be quite interesting because obviously Arnie gets absolutely slated by everyone but for him to have a more you know a kind of full-time job an A-league job I think it would really actually test would think we'd find out how good a coach he is rather than speculating on the, the times where he filled in for Australia mm. I think as well when we've spoken to him and when we spoke when Trevor and you spoke to him, he's, I think you know, he's certainly learnt a lot over the last two or three years since the last World Cup and the move into Asia, taking the Olympic side, you know, and this would be an opportunity for him to actually step out from being a number two and and, and have a club management. And you know, sometimes when you're, you you've seen a lot of people that have come into international football and struggled with that, you, you only get the players for for a set amount of time, and, and and it's often like one or two days. Whereas club football, you're working with the players day in day out, and you get the chance to really develop players and I think it'd be good for him I think it'd be good for him to show what he can do and what he's learnt mm. Interesting though Andy that Central Coast of all places it's such a community based club can you see Arnie hosting backyard barbecues for half of Gosford I don't know if that's <laughs> going to happen and as you said Trevor um, Laurie will be given another season uh, but coaches 
you know, we've always said they live and die by the results and yeah. he's going to lose the dressing room shortly if, if the results don't start going his way. He's, in my opinion, yet to replace the talents of Yedinak and Yedinak leaving was at the same time as Ferguson going and he's, he's had a few things to deal with but uh, we'll see how he comes back in the new season. I think, I think as well, he's probably a victim of his own success a little bit. In the, there's no doubt about it. In the first three or four seasons, they probably overachieved and now that's the benchmark that he's set and he'd be the first to admit that, you know, that, he, that he's now got to live up to that. Interestingly enough, I think you, you made a good point there, is the impact that I'm not really sure many people have talked about Ovi and Ferguson leaving and that'll be quite interesting to see how Fergie does up at North Queensland mm-hmm. uh, and how he gets them playing because obviously, you know, you, you never really know how much of an influence the number two has. Um, so, he, he, you know, certainly this, this dip has coincided with Yedinak and Ferguson leaving. So it'd be interesting to see uh, the effect Fergie has elsewhere. They're the saying about Laurie getting a, a job moving upstairs in the Mariners, which is kind of a, a, a strange way of sideways getting sacked, isn't it? But it's also a dream job, isn't it? That director of football. I don't think anyone actually knows what a director of football does. I know Harry Redknapp did it for a while and he said he's to come in hoping someone would tell me that I've got something to do today because they just sit around, don't they, basically? Especially at West Ham, yeah. Oh, well, yeah. That was a Portsmouth, actually. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on, a uh, story coming out of Victoria's uh, Ernie Merrick mentioning uh, Mark Viduka. Oh, you look like you're going to explode, Andy. Do we, do we have a ban on the, on the V-Man I'm going to put my foot down now that this is the last time that we discuss whether Mark Viduka should be in the, the Socceroo squad. There are three things that got to happen. He's got to get fit, he's got to start scoring goals, and he's got to say that he wants to play. And as far well, as I think saying, four, and he needs a club. Well, yeah, exactly. If he's yeah. not playing full-time first-team football, Verbeek yeah. won't choose him. And I spoke to him Verbeek about a couple of weeks ago, and he said that it's all about what's going on in Big Duke's head. But Verbeek can't rule him out. It's a credit to Duke's... You know his, his history that Verbeek is still considering him and how good might we see Scotty Mack be if he could play off a big guy mm. like he does at uh, Celtic with uh, Fenechel of Hesselink that's when Scotty's banging in the goals he's not a lone striker yeah. Josh Kennedy's too tall he's I don't know he's going to be the Jesus of the J-League so maybe he'll uh, <laughs> learn to play with the ball at his feet but um, we need someone to hold the ball up up front and that's why the discussion keeps coming back up because we haven't found the answer yeah yeah, yeah. well okay that's it ban, ban on that's the V-man it. until we until he gets a club, he shirt. starts playing and he starts <laughs> scoring goals I don't care whether Suzanne Boyle comes out and says Viduka should be back in the Australian side that's it alright it's time for a break now but make sure you stay with us as up next we look at the funniest side of the game and give you a starter's guide to South Africa see you soon are you buying or selling a car if so check out carsguide.com.au put your car in front of over a million potential buyers today for only $19.95 with no time or space limits this is the fastest and easiest way to sell your car with thousands of cars for sale whether you're looking to buy a luxury brand or something small to get you from A to B we'll have the perfect car for you to find the best selection of cars and advice on buying or selling, check out carsguide.com.au today. Also available from your mobile at carsguide.mobi. Want to bet on the soccer? Come to betfair.com. Betfair punters bet against each other. Yep, yep, yep. Uh-huh. To get better odds yeah. and bigger yeah. wins. So join the world's biggest online betting community. Betfair.com. Betting as it should be. Promotional code PRT888. Don't miss the new issue of 442, Australia's number one football magazine. The 442 team have been traversing the globe to bring you the best exclusive interviews with the stars of Australian football. We begin in Turkey, talking to superstar Harry Kuehl about his first season with Galatasaray and his thoughts on being played in defence. 
Then we're off to Moscow to catch up with Luke Wilkshire before returning to Aussie soil for the next instalment of our series on Gold Coast United, chatting to head coach Mirren Blyberg on the challenge of putting together a team capable of challenging for A-League honours in their first season. Mark Schwarzer joins the 4-4-2 team with his first exclusive column and interviews with Europe's most sought-after striker, David Villa, and French legend Marcel Desailly. Round off another jam-packed issue. The July issue is on sale at all good news agents or head to au.442.com to subscribe and get it delivered to your door. If it's in the game, it's in 442. I just don't know what's wrong with some tradies today. Look at the vehicles they drive. More show than anything, and certainly not tough. I reckon some tradies have even gone soft. For real, fair income tough tradies, there's only one choice, Mahindra. Mahindra's range of 4x2 and 4x4 workhorse pickups and cab chassis know how to get the job done. And they won't cost an arm and a leg, starting at 19990 drive away. Visit your local dealer for a test drive today or visit mahindrapickup.com.au. The latest on the world game. This is 442 Insider. Welcome back to 442 Insider. And before we go to the halftime orange segment, if you uh, pardon the pun, uh, we've got a couple more news stories to look at that showed up on our website this week. First up is uh, Jose Luis Lopez, uh, Costa Rican from Melbourne Victory. He's decided to leave the team, go back home and fight for a World Cup spot. Thoughts on that, guys? Yeah, I think he, you know, he, as we were talking about, he's in the same boat as a lot of the Aussie players that we've been talking about that are overseas and aren't necessarily getting a game. I mean, he came over as, you know, sort of like as a as a Costa Rican international and, and was really frozen out last season by the former Billy Selesky, mm. who early merit moved into that role and, and quite rightly held his place. So I think he's facing a decision that a lot of the Aussies we talk about every week are, which is the World Cup coming up. You know, I need to secure my place and probably the best place for him to do that is to go back home, be a bit more visible, but most importantly, play. Particularly with uh, Costa Rica looking pretty close to getting there. They're first in their... their qualifies for uh, the CONCACAF region so they're pretty sure of going through and he wants a spot and it's one of the biggest criticisms the Bakes always had about the A-League is it just doesn't go for long enough you know the players well in this new comp they'll finish what in about March mm. yeah. which still leaves them with a lot of time off and yeah. they need to be match fit so it's understandable for Melbourne victory equally they still got Hernandez who chose not to go they've got uh, Broxenberger Ward you know they've got a bit of depth so I think they'll they'll still be okay but but for Lopez it's the right decision mm. I perhaps don't know enough about the Costa Rican national team but if he's struggling to get games in the A-League I think a move anywhere regardless of where he's going to be playing he's going to be hard pushed to be good enough to play at a World Cup you didn't mention that in the interview when you came to us that you didn't know enough about the... <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh, I, it's interesting to know, I couldn't know less, to be honest. Okay, but I'm, I'm, I'm assuming if they've got, you know, wannabe A-League players jostling yeah. for spots, then uh, they might struggle if they get... It's not as a, as a damning indictment of the A-League as first thought, because obviously, as you said, it, it's more about players struggling for, for a place and wanting to go to a World Cup and follow their well, dreams. Well, yeah. especially in this next... 12 months yeah. that's when it's really important and Lopez is 28 is he yeah. Yeah. so he's, yeah. this could be his last shot you'd be more concerned if Hernandez said he was quitting to go back to secure a World Cup yeah. place because then that would say that someone who is playing a starring role for the champions thinks that it's not it's not a good enough standard to secure a World Cup spot so mm. yeah and uh, last story up is uh, the Socceroos forgotten man Nick Cole 
come out and said that he's looking forward to the double dream of securing promotion with Crystal Palace and gaining a World Cup spot with the Socceroos. Do, do we, which one do we think is more likely? World Cup spot I don't think Palace will get uh, promoted and they lost a lot of players and they didn't look particularly good last season there was one thing about Nicky Cole coming back into the squad there wasn't much explanation as in why he wasn't there before he just magically reappeared and started playing again well he's not been in favour with Verbeek since no. uh, since he took over but I did I actually ran into bizarrely Pim Verbeek in Victoria Station in London who was on his way to watch <laughs> Palace v Derby how bizarre is that wow. and uh, he was going over to. he said he's going to watch Palace and I thought well that's interesting is he finally going to pick uh, pick Nicky Carl? And I think the problem for Carl is that Verbeek likes to play him in that left-sided spot where Kuehl plays. And if Kuehl is fit and firing, as we saw him do just recently, then Carl may not get a look in. I know he prefers to play in the hole behind the strikers, but, you know, that's Timmy Cahill's spot. Yeah. Mm. He's really struggling to break into particularly a starting lineup for the Socceroos yeah I mean we talked about this last week didn't we that, that you know Pimmy's going to play that 4-2-3-1 I think that's obvious and so that first choice three did you just three... call him Pimmy no Pimmy's Pimmy's going to play that's his little pet name for him yeah, <laughs> yeah we like that um, you know so I think you've got Kill Cahill and probably Emerton or Bresciano, the, 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 the main four fight in those three spots. But he certainly needs cover in those. And so I think that's why he looked at Carl in that left-sided spot. Um, whether he did enough in that game, I'm not sure. Hopefully he'll get another chance because I certainly think that he's got the talent. And I also think that, that he does offer something a little bit different in that position behind the, than Tim Cale does. The, in that Cale's very much a sort of bomb forward, get into the box, whereas Carl's a bit more of a sort of foot on the ball and look around and that may become that may become important in the World Cup in the last sort of 15 minutes when if they've got a side that's hanging on and they just need that that one pass that might open up the defence then I think Nicky Carl might have a role to play in that yeah so does that mean we're all agree that Palace is not going to get promoted yeah I don't <laughs> yeah. they came so close it was a shame that 1-0 loss against Hull was the end of everything but as you said Trev, they then lost players and getting back up again it's difficult they've got a really good youth academy at Palace so they'll blood loads of young lads but with Middlesbrough and Newcastle going down as well I think it's going to be a tough league to get out of the championship definitely all bets off on that I wouldn't want to pick anyone at the start no, of the season good, good season Moving on from the news now, we take a little bit of a look at the lighter side of the game and we come up with our funnies, in probably in inverted commas, let's say. Mm. Um, as I'm the host, I can choose who goes first, and that'll be me. Um, <laughs> oh, there's a shock. The best story, of course. <laughs> and I, I, one thing that really interested me, and, and it's been, I think it was last week or the week before, is the, the interesting brochure that's been sent out by Michael Owen's uh, management team sent out to all clubs letting them know about Michael Owen and uh, the, the wording is, is Michael Owen is now seeking the right opportunity to remind people why he was once crowned European Footballer of the Year uh, I would have thought that him playing for Newcastle last year would have been a, an opportunity for him to show that. He didn't do too well in that. But the, the brochure's in English, Spanish and Italian translated, so that's a bit of an indicator in where he's looking to go. He's Paul, looking to go to Chelsea or, or <laughs> Liverpool. Yeah, exactly. And, and does the fact that he has to remind people 
say everything. Yeah. It just shows the corporatization of uh, of football. Uh, I don't know what that means. Is a big word, but no, um, it sounds like you know. You know, thirty-two page glossy brochure uh, highlighting him in his suits and his playing career and how many goals he scored. You know, I don't know whether that's the way. Of, of what the, a fall from grace, though. I mean, a player that was on track to be England's greatest ever goal scorer. You know, couldn't seem to stop scoring. They had his goal scoring record in that brochure, didn't they? And we were saying, mm. you know, it's absolutely amazing. But now you're having to sort of send out a release of kind of almost please sign me thing it's a bit depressing just kind of begs the you know the question you know what what other kind of CVs or newsletter would Ian Fife have a village newsletter or something like that you know you know that could be you could put it on an email for him though couldn't you yeah text text message maybe so I wonder if there's sort of finance options as well you know you get a brochure for a new car (laughs) and it's you know and we've got our own finance company that can finance this move so so they take injury insurance but the thing with Owen though is that even at Newcastle his goal scoring record was still strong yeah. I mean, he was just shy of the sort of goal every other game which is what centre forwards would generally point to as being a you know a top class striker and so I think the thing is the problem is though is can he stay fit enough long enough to, to score those goals consistently for a club yeah. but I know my team Villa are apparently one of the teams that are, that are looking for him and the general consensus among the Villa fans is you know, if he's willing to come and take a 50% pay cut which apparently he is he's looking at around a sort of 50-55 grand a week mark you know then that then he might be worth a gamble because he's on a free transfer so you look at that there's yeah. no transfer fee involved and if you, if you can keep him fit, then there's no doubt about it, he'll score goals. So. Does this come back to the World Cup? Has that brochure been sent to Capella? Yeah, yeah could be, sense. yeah. Been virally linked to him, I'm sure. <laughs> I, see, I see Stoke have been linked to him this morning. I mean, getting on the hope of, he can do better than that. Getting on the end of those long throws as the, as yeah. the big centre forward. <laughs> Trev, you're, uh, you're funny. Well, yeah, it's more something I wanted to put out to the pod because I'm not sure I fully understand it. Um, in the wake of the Australia-Japan game, the Japanese captain who, who didn't play... Um, Nakazawa Um, he made the comment we were beaten by pizza eaters they were on a different level to us Australian pizza eaters what, what does that mean? Why? I don't actually know. What was, what was he trying we, to say? That they were better than we were. Well, better I mean, yeah, that, that was his second comment. That, you know, they were on a different level to us. But he's, you know, he's straight comment. Where we were beaten by pizza eaters. If, no someone says, if someone says pizza eaters, I think overweight. Yeah. 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 And you'd think they'd go for the pies. Yeah. yeah. Well, he did mark Scott McDonald in, in a game. <laughs> so oh, that, that could be. Oh, sorry, Scotty. <laughs> Uh, we'll move on swiftly. Um, <laughs> Stephanie, you got a funny for us? Uh, let me read you this headline. Egypt blame exit on prostitute reports. Egypt have blamed their Confederations Cup exit on media lies about their players consorting with prostitutes after beating world champions Italy. Now, what happened was that the Egyptians allegedly had their hotel rooms robbed of about 1,500 quid. And the media has come out and said, no, 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 the Egyptians had prostitutes in. And the Egyptians said, no, we didn't. You're covering up security problems in South Africa. Mm. So it's, it's all a, a raging debate, and the Egyptian side is mortally offended. And uh, apparently this happened during their, their win over Italy, which if you're going to consort with a prostitute, wouldn't you be celebrating a win? Wouldn't you be in the room so, with them yeah. rather than out on the pitch playing? <laughs> they must have got the wrong time, maybe. <laughs> yeah. You would think. But uh, they're a very proud nation, and uh, they're, they're hugely offended. And, yes, the question has been raised, is this a, a cover-up? To, uh, to hide security issues. Yeah. Unlike footballers to be linked to anything like that, really. Uh, and well, I can't imagine. <laughs> um, sticking with the Confederations Cup, anyone who's uh, watched the coverage, and I'll say watched 
stressing the watch because it's very difficult to actually listen to it because of the din of the uh, Vuvuzela horns, which, um, yeah, which might... Yeah, I'm pretty unique to South African football and I think it's very rare that I would agree with Sepp Blatter but I'm actually going to agree with him on this I think if you take the World Cup to South Africa you take the World Cup to South Africa and you take into account you know what how they support the football and whatever so I actually think Andy that it drives me <laughs> nuts almost as badly as when we go to the Middle East and all you get that hey <laughs> For 90 minutes. But it'd be a bit like taking the World Cup to England and saying you can't swear in chance, you know, because we don't yeah. like it and the TV doesn't like it. It's like that is part of the way they support football and we should embrace that, I think. However annoying it is for US or European TV audience. Mm. Oh, that's how I kept my job, really, despite being annoying. <laughs> Stay with us as when we return, we look at a starter's guide to heading to South Africa and what you can expect when you get there. See you soon. Do you know how to appoint a power of attorney? Do you know why you need one? Every year, thousands of Australians appoint a power of attorney to handle their affairs before they travel overseas or before they go into hospital for an operation. A power of attorney is a legal document that allows another person to make decisions for you when you can't make them for yourself. Playing it safe is a very good idea. The Australian Power of Attorney Kit is written in layman's terms so it's very easy to understand. You get easy to follow instructions that show you how to write your own Power of Attorney step by step. And the kit includes all the forms you'll need. All you have to do is fill in the blank spaces. There's even an example filled out to help guide you through. The Australian Power of Attorney Kit is only $29.95 plus postage and handling. Order online at australianpoweroftattorney.com.au or call us today. Here's how to order. Call 1-800-200-109. That's 1-800-200-109. That's 1-800-200-109. Call now. Looking for someone to bet with? Come to Betfair.com. Betfair punters bet against each other. Yep, yep, yep. Uh-huh. To get better odds yep. and bigger yep. wins. So join the world's biggest online betting community. Betfair.com. Betting as it should be. Promotional code PRT888. Back to 442 Insider. Welcome back to 442 Insider, and uh, our next section is the Starter's Guide to South Africa and what you can expect uh, when you get there. Qualified for the World Cup now, so I think 20,000 Australians went to the World Cup in Germany, and I'm sure we can expect the same number or thereabouts going to South Africa. But I wanted to ask you guys first of all, what's your general feeling about the the World Cup in South Africa? I suppose going over there, comparing it to Germany, and you know, is there as much enthusiasm from fans and from yourself to to go to South Africa as there was four years ago? I've never been to South Africa myself and I've never really harboured that many ambitions to go personally aside from football so the World Cup being there I've, I've been a little bit apprehensive about what it's going to be like and I think the main things are sort of the, the security concerns which we'll go on to in a bit but um, you can imagine that they're going to organise it so well that you'd hope that those safety levels would be you know, high enough I mean you've been there before Yeah I, I went a long time ago now probably 12 years ago um, so it wasn't long after 
the apartheid sort of regime was uh, was brought down, and probably a couple of years after Mandela was in power. Um, and it's it's an amazing country. There's no doubt about that. You know, to go, but not dissimilar in a way to Australia in that you've got sort of really sort of you know high quality modern cities like Cape Town, and then you you drive an hour out and you're in just this expanse of, of you know country that you can. We drove up the Garden Route, which is a really famous drive that you can do. So it's an amazing country to visit. Real con- you know, a country of real sort of contrasts, you know, between the haves and the have-nots, and you, you certainly see things that are quite confronting. You know, the, dr- the drive from the Cape Town airport to Cape Town, you drive through this on the motorway, and either side is just this, you know, this uh, shanty town, you know, township for as far as you can see. Where people are just living with, you know, no electricity, corrugated iron houses, and then you just like literally another block and you're in the CBD of Cape Town and it's bars and restaurants and it, it's really a really interesting uh, country to visit so I, I think it would be a fantastic place to go but obviously there are security concerns there's been a couple of issues apparently coming out about the uh, British Lions fans that are there at the moment um, but I, I tend to agree with Trev I think FIFA have got so much right and Blatter personally has got so much riding on his decision to fight for the World Cup to go to Africa that I think FIFA will be doing everything in their power even if it means that the fans that go there live in a little bit of a bubble while they're there I I think that they probably will um, manage to keep it in check Mm. I think you're right Andy they're going to do absolutely everything they can do to make it work. I mean, there's already been so many questions over their ability to have the place ready. And when they do get that main stadium ready, it'll be absolutely spectacular. But like you, I've been in South Africa many years ago now and the disparity between the um, poverty and the wealth. And also in Joburg, the um, the large estates which had brick walls and then they had rolls of barbed wire over the top, which I'd, you know, coming from Australia, hadn't, hadn't seen in any country in the world and I'd, I'd travelled a fair bit. Uh, and then you go down to Cape Town, it's just, it's very much like Sydney. Yeah. You know, it's got um, the mountains and the ocean and the harbour, whatever. It's it's just stunning. But even, even in Cape Town, we saw this this uh, personal security shop where you can buy, you know, tasers, guns, and like that. And pretty much every day, we were in a queue for a nightclub. <laughs> And we're queuing to get in this club. It's like five of us. And as we go through and we sort of the, we go past the doorman, then you walk, walk through an area where you check in your guns and then you go through a metal detector. And everyone in front of us in the queue checked in a gun. And that's Did you quite check in your taser? Of, yeah, we, I, che- <laughs> I checked in my, my Parker jacket. Yeah. But it is quite weird when you just see that every single person in front of you that you've just been stood next to, like waiting 15 minutes to get in this club, was armed. Yeah. You know, and that's quite a scary thing, you know. So it, it's, it's certainly interesting. Uh, we talk about the crime. They're saying that they're going to put another uh, 41,000 police and 45,000 stewards at the games. But I've done a little bit of research into the crime. I don't Here want to the statistics. Statman. <laughs> I don't want to scare anyone who's going because I'm, I'm sure you'll be safe. But there's lots of various crime there. But the, the main crime South Africa is known for is carjacking. That is a massive problem. They've got 14,000 carjackings a year, which is 18 times the per capita rate of the US. So it's a real, real problem. But a couple of interesting things popped up while I was uh, researching that. The main, the main car. You shouldn't that's a say that when you're uh, surfing the net researching. Yeah, uh, yeah exactly. A bad phrase, Trevor. Um, city golfs. If you've got a city golf, they are the prime target for carjacking. <laughs> right? There's an insurance company in South Africa that won't even insure you if you've got a golf. 
because wow. they're so easy to uh, to carjack. Okay. But an- another thing you're saying about those security places, uh, Andy, there was an invention in '98, and it's got to be one of the most amazing inventions I think I've I've heard about in a while. It was called the blaster, and basically what it was. <laughs> was flame throwers that were attached to the underneath of your car and they shot out either side right so if someone tries to car check you then you simply flame throw them it's like back to the future instead of flares at the games we're gonna have blasters and the inventor made some brilliant comments and should a carjacker approach the driver could raise his hands faking surrender then activate a pedal or switch and the violent frames would erupt from either side of the car neutralizing the assailant and the inventor claimed it's unlikely to kill but would definitely blind them um, there you go. It, it didn't really sell very well in the end, and by 2001 he scrapped it, and now he just sells personal flamethrowers. I reckon I, if we go, we just uh, have a curry and bring a lighter with us. Well, the thing is, I don't think I'd be, ever be a, under the legal limit to drive if I was at a World Cup, so there's no problem with me getting carjacked. It's when they start barjacking that we'll be in trouble. That's the problem. Exactly. I, I, think, I think the interesting point about football in South Africa is that football in South Africa has always been the... The, the black person's sport and has been the sport of the, the masses and the sport that's played in the townships whereas cricket and rugby have traditionally been the, the domain of the white South Africans mm. so I think it might be you, you, we might be quite surprised and, uh, that you know that, that the whole of South Africa gets behind this in a way that, that they probably don't behind the rugby because there isn't that history of uh, you know the, the sport has always belonged to the black South Africans I think you're right because I mean they call it the Rainbow Nation and yeah. anyone that's been to an African Cup of Nations it is such a colourful event. Yeah, and if you look at you know you look at the South African football team, the, there's there's ten black players and one white player. You look at the the rugby team and the cricket team, and it tends to be the other way around, or certainly was until more recently. So I think that this this will be seen by you know the the, the, the majority of South Africans as being their tournament, and I think they will probably have a pride in the fact that you know it is that, that it doesn't get a bad reputation and, and isn't covered negatively because they'll see it as a you know as an indictment on them. Yeah. Well, Andy, you, uh, I know you've done a little bit of research on some of the tours that you oh, can another do. another researcher. <laughs> it's great. We're, we're, we're highly researched in this uh, part other than the presenter. Uh, but tell me a little bit about some of the tours without going into too many specifics. What can what can Australian fans expect if they want to go over and see Australia play in well, the World Cup? I think the, fir- I think the first decision that fans have to make is do they go on an organised tour or do they try and make their own way there? And obviously, when we look at the Asian Cup, the Asian Cup was relatively easy because it was, it was in Thailand. There was no problem getting tickets. You could buy them here from Thai Ticketmaster. Um, you know, that's not the case with the World Cup. And, the, the, you know, you, I, I don't think that South Africa is a destination that you'd probably go without knowing you've got a ticket so I think there's uh, that's the decision first do you want to book your own flights your own accommodation with the inherent security risks that are there and, and, and doing that and, and scoping that out from Australia I think would be difficult so then you obviously pay a premium which we all know uh, to guarantee yourself match tickets guarantee yourself accommodation guarantee yourself transfers to and from the game and there's a number of those coming out already obviously the Green and Gold Army the Australian um, football supporters organisation are running theirs the Fanatics are running one and there's I think the, the Fairfax have announced that they're doing one and uh, yeah so there's a number of tours out there and I think people need to decide whether they're they want to pay a premium and have have it all organized for them certainly that's that's the way I operate when I go on holiday um or you can do your own research and make your own way there but I think certainly with South Africa and, and the issues that we've just talked about um that might not be for a lot of fans fair enough um 
We're going to put a link up on our website with the podcast. Uh, there was a pretty good story that we did with the, all the tour options on there. Um, so if you want to keep an eye out on that, that, that'll be up there on our website. But I just wanted to also ask, how do we think South Africa will do in the tournament? Um, Abidi Pele, the Ghanaian international, uh, has come out and said that he thinks that uh, an African nation could win it. He, I think he's used the, the example of teams winning tournaments when they're playing within their own kind of confederation or continent. But do we really think that Africa, South Africa could pull a, or an African nation could pull a, you know, South Korea from 2002 and uh, really make a run? No, because no. they haven't really got, a, <laughs> they haven't really got the climate advantage. Like you often see, you know, certain countries do well in the, in their own environment if it's, you know, really, really tough moment. But the weather out there is going to kind of suit actually the European teams. Um, so they're not going to advantage there, which will bring it just down to the football side. So I'd imagine would see a, a normal winner somewhere would expect to win. Any dissenting voices in there? No, I agree with them. I think, I mean, I've sort of said this before. Um, I think that the, it's difficult now for nations. Like, I remember when, when Cameroon sort of over, massively overachieved at the 1990 World Cup came and just played with a structure and a, a sort of abandon that, that no one could really deal with. I think the difference now is that most of those African players are playing in Europe, just like most of the Brazilian players are playing in Europe. So international football, I, I think, has lost a bit of its contrasting styles because, you know, Drogba, you know, SEN are all playing the trade in the Premier League and they've become more European in their style by playing in the Premier League, just like the Brazilians become more sort of European because they're playing in that week in, week out. So I think when they when we turn up at a tournament now and, and a European nation's playing against the African, I don't think the contrast that was there probably in the 90s is, is there anymore, simply because those guys have been picked up and paid the big money to come to Europe. And they do still have some uh, success at club level. Al-Akhli um, has yeah. always been quite successful. So they, they do have... Uh, couldn't tell you, perhaps Statsman knows how many uh, Native Africans are actually in the Al Ahly club team. I'll have to give that to you. Okay. We'll wait for next week, yeah. <laughs> but they do, do have some. I don't think they've got enough quality. Yeah, I don't think I've seen enough from South Africa in the um, Confederations Cup to suggest that they can win it. Mm. Um, I think certainly having seen the sort of you know, the effect it had on the rugby team, I think playing at home in that tournament will have an impact whether it has a big enough impact I'm not sure and if you're basing it on the Confederations Cup that means America is going to win yeah. the World Cup yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. One, uh, one footnote to the discussion is um, what time the games are going to kick off over here yeah. for people that um, aren't aware Australia time is going to be 9.30 in the evening midnight and then 4 in the morning um, for Australia's group games they'll get split between those three times so we'll have one, one of each. at each time yeah. so, so it's actually, it's actually a better time that. than Germany I think because <coughs> Germany was, was Germany 11 2, two and, and 4 and 4 45 yeah, or something like that. so it's actually at least there's not one slap bang in the middle of the night I remember yeah. seeing you at the Shelbourne at some very <laughs> yeah. unsociable hours yep well that's great guys thanks a lot for that we're going to go to another the break but when we come back we'll be chatting to stephanie brents about her new show football stars of tomorrow see you soon don't miss the new issue of 442 australia's number one football magazine the 442 team have been traversing the globe to bring you the best exclusive interviews with the stars of australian football we begin in turkey talking to superstar harry kuhl about his first season with galatasaray and his thoughts on being played in defense then we're off to moscow to catch up with luke wilkshire before returning to aussie soil for the next installment of our series on gold coast united chatting to head coach Mirren Blyberg on the challenge of putting together a team capable of challenging for A-League honours in their first
first season. Mark Schwarzer joins the 442 team with his first exclusive column and interviews with Europe's most sought-after striker, David Villa, and French legend Marcel Desailly. Round off another jam-packed issue. The July issue is on sale at all good news agents, or head to au.442.com to subscribe and get it delivered to your door. If it's in the game, it's in 442. Are you buying or selling a car? If so, check out carsguide.com.au. Put your car in front of over a million potential buyers today for only $19.95. With no time or space limits, this is the fastest and easiest way to sell your car. With thousands of cars for sale, whether you're looking to buy a luxury brand or something small to get you from A to B, we'll have the perfect car for you. To find the best selection of cars and advice on buying or selling, check out carsguide.com.au today. Also available from your mobile at carsguide.mobi. Want to bet on the soccer? Uh, uh, Come to uh, uh, betfair.com. Uh, uh. Betfair punters bet against each other. Yep, yep, yep. Uh-huh. To get better yep. odds yep. and bigger yep. wins. So join the world's biggest online betting community. Betfair.com. Betting as it should be. Promotional code PRT888. I just don't know what's wrong with some tradies today. Look at the vehicles they drive. More show than anything, and certainly not tough. I reckon some tradies have even gone soft. For real, fair income tough tradies, there's only one choice, Mahindra. Mahindra's range of 4x2 and 4x4 workhorse pickups and cab chassis know how to get the job done. And they won't cost an arm and a leg, starting at 19990 drive away. Visit your local dealer for a test drive today or visit mahindrapickup.com.au. The latest on the world game. This is 442 Insider. Welcome back to the last part of 442 Insider this week and we're now joined or we have been joined for the whole podcast but we're going to give her centre stage Stephanie Brantz the host and producer of a new grassroots football show airing this Sunday 2pm on Channel 9 called uh, Football Stars of Tomorrow sell it to us Steph what's it all about? Well as it would suggest it's all about grassroots and this is really exciting uh, to actually have it go onto Channel 9, onto free to television. It's, it's fantastic for us. And it really celebrates where the game starts, the kids first and foremost, but also the people that make it all happen. Uh, there's a Star of the Week segment, which is your quintessential club star. Not a player. It's the person that is there, at, or he or she is there at 6, 7 o'clock in the morning setting up the net. Um, you know, they make sure there's enough balls for the games. They set up the corner flags, the kits, so on and so forth. Run the canteen, do the sausage sizzle, you name it. We celebrate them. They get a Star of the Week award. So there's always one of them. Um, goals of the Week that the kids send in themselves. We put them up. Uh, a celebrity segment. We've got Robbie Fowler in our first celebrity segment. So we went up to Townsville to see him. Cool. And a Socceroo segment, which has been fantastic because we went to um, to see them all at their home clubs. Carlster, tell us the tour. <laughs> tell us the tour. What goes on tour? No, it was brilliant. Actually, it was really, really funny to see what these guys are like at home because we only see them when they come to Australia and they're peddled out in front of the media constantly saying the same things and it was a really great experience we started at Fulham with um, Schwartzy who just spent so much time with us you know we were there at training then he took us to Cobham which is a terribly posh part of London where he lives and you know we sat down had coffee and talked about how he started and that's what these segments are about how they started not about where they are now everyone knows where they are now so it was how they got their start how they came through the ranks Um, we went up north we saw uh, Timmy Cahill and that was 
a hilarious experience because we were all being very polite. And, you know, Tim, can you meet us locally at this country pub? You know, we'll have a chat in the garden. And then uh, we said, you know, do you mind moving into the restaurant? And we'll have, um, you know, we'll make up a cl- we're having a cup of coffee, you know, the, the, the chit-chat just for pictures and all that sort of thing. And he said... Um, why don't you come back to my place, not to me, to the whole team? <laughs> so, so, off we jump in the black Lamborghini and go back to Timmy's house, which, though he lives with all the trappings of a superstar, the kids were running around the back garden, I had the dog shedding fur on my lap, and something that I thought was quite beautiful was there was this kid there from the States called Connor who had apparently met Tim's family, Tim and his family on holiday in somewhere like the Bahamas, had expressed an interest in the Premier League and had been invited by Tim to come and stay with him for all those, you know, the Champions League, the FA Cup, yeah. the end of end of the, the Premier League season. And he was just a house guest of Tim's. It was, it's actually, you know, Tim walks the talk yeah. he, he really really does it and that was that was fantastic um you know we also stayed at the hammers we stayed at the the west ham hotel oh, and uh, oh, that's that actually lovely i know so it was, well the thing is that the hotel itself is not so classy what's funny about it is you go in upton park you go upstairs they give you a room number you walk in and you're actually staying in a corporate box, which are converted to hotel rooms. Yeah, you which is it's like the Carlsberg yeah. ad. I opened the curtains and went, "Hey, I'm on the pitch." There's the first team. I'll close the curtains. Um, and it was, it was great. It was, it was a really good experience. Uh, Galatasaray was unique going to a match there. I think I was the only female that was uh, quite, quite an eye opener. Mm. And watching a fit Harry Kuehl running around for Gala, he played any one of six, seven, eight, nine positions during that match. It was it was a brilliant experience and went out for dinner with him afterwards and we said, you know, well, we wanted to do this interview and he said, oh, do you want to do it tonight or tomorrow? Why don't we just relax and have a feed and we'll do it tomorrow, which we did. So it was certainly a highlight, a highlight of, uh, of all the filming. It does sound like a bit of a love fest, but I know all the guys here as well have, have met Socceroos in, in, in the few years that we've been going and they are just genuinely good blokes, aren't they? You know, when I've, I've met a lot of football from the UK and in past jobs and it's a different different type of person when you when you meet the Socceroos and it just sounds like that they're, they're just genuine people see they still remember the grassroots they are they're very real yeah I also think when they, whenever they come back here it's a real reminder of where they've come from and the fact that you know in the UK if you're an English football player all you've ever known is football being all, all that's talked about all that any, anyone ever wants to be and I think the fact that the Socceroos when they come back home to play an international they're very quickly reminded that football is still a real sort of challenger sport here and they've got a massive role to play in that and I think they all appreciate that role um, and, and yeah I mean everyone that we've met they all sort of they certainly have a, a, an appreciation of the fact that their role for football in Australia goes beyond what they do on the pitch. They Uh, do, Andy, and that comes through very clearly in their segments because these are not a sit-down, you know, official chat for the, you know, serious grown-up football fan. The kids want to hear how they started, how they can be the next Harry Kill, Tim Cahill, Lucas Neal, Vinnie Grella and so on. And that really comes through for them. Uh, What really impressed me with all of them is they want to put something back. All of them Mm. spoke about wanting to put back into um, I don't think it necessarily means they want to uh, come and play in the A-League right now apart from Jason Kalina of course mm. Craig Moore's still over here as well uh, but they do all seriously speak about coming back contributing to Australian football and perhaps yes finishing their careers here in the A-League 
The show's not all about superstars. There's obviously a coaching component in there where kids can uh, watch it and get some tips from some of the Australia's top coaches. Tell me a little bit about that. Well, we actually opened that coaching segment with uh, a look around the Institute of Sport uh, because down there in Canberra is where most of Australia's elite will go through. They'll, they'll be part of that program at some stage. Head coach down there is, of course, the young Socceroos coach, Jan Vaslan, and he tells us more about the Institute. We have a look around, and then our next segment... Uh, in the second episode is Jan actually coaching down there and it was quite interesting to watch how coaching really has changed in Australia there's such an emphasis on small-sided games now and kids having much more time on the ball which if you look at the difference in in quality of first touch and and elements like that compared to overseas players uh, it's something that well I think Australian kids have perhaps struggled with because they don't have that quality on the ball so it's about that Jan was fantastic and it was very interesting to see in segments whether he was teaching 1v1 4v4 5v5 uh, it was all in a game situation he didn't do a, you know one-on-one is you playing you um, off you go it was all in a situation to create space and create opportunities um, very much the the Dutch total football model sure. Steph I've heard some good things about this uh, Anthony Proyer plays for the Marconi youth side he's been featured in the first episode he has he's uh, our one to watch in the in the first episode and he's through and through a local product he started I think with uh, some of the Liverpool local clubs um, he's now with Marconi under 15s and I'm sure you guys are aware of that Manchester United Youth Cup Marconi won that um, they 2-0 over Waitakere United from New Zealand and Anthony's been a big part of that. I think he actually skippered that side. Um, John Paul DeMarini, the Australian under-15s coach, picked him. He speaks very highly of him. And what's funny about him is that y- you'll see on the, on the program, he looks like any other average 14, 15-year-old, hair everywhere and doesn't... You know, doesn't. he's not as totally eloquent as some of the more, more grown-up footballers, which I think is beautiful because it shows that you start off as, you know, kids will watch and think, that could be me. And it could. Mm-hmm. could. He's headed for big things. I think the whole small-sided games is, is a real sort of... It's a generational shift that we probably won't see the true benefit of it until the kids that are six, seven and eight that are coming through that system. You know, it's probably going to be another 10 years. I mean, I'm coaching 11-year-olds and the 11-year-olds that I'm coaching in the Sutherland trial are the last 11-year-olds to play on full-size pitches. And we've felt some resistance because we don't play when we're coaching them on a Monday night. We don't play any any full-sided games on a full pitch. The most we'll play is maybe an 8v8 on on half a pitch. And to start with, there was that, oh, can't can't we play with the big goals? And and it's like, but slowly over like the last 14 weeks, they're now starting to get it and they're going back and playing with their clubs. And and I think, and hopefully seeing the benefit of that and in, in the fact that they're their, their ball control, their their ability in tight spaces, and it, it's not just about the big kids being able to kick it further and run faster and be stronger. Mm. You know, we've got some ten-year-olds that are playing a year up in the eleven-year squad, and they're 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 tiny physically, but they're starting to get more confident because they realise that that it's not always about how big you are anymore it's about how good you are on the ball and if you move the ball quickly it doesn't matter how big that kid is if he can't get anywhere near you and it's so. something that Jan Vaslan brings up in this first episode because we asked him what do you look for when you're going to bring a player in on scholarship he said I don't care how big or strong they are it's whether they're <laughs> what's the cliche technically and tactically aware yeah <laughs> 
and obviously it, it's a great thing to see football coming out on free to air giving a lot a wider audience a chance to see the Socceroo heroes could it could it obviously be a start of something you know where we see football going more mainstream I mean the Socceroos were the, the two Socceroo games that were, that were shown over here were I think it definitely records. could and, and Paul it certainly helped us that Australia did qualify because we were a little bit concerned as to what might happen not that it ever looked in doubt but you know nothing's ever ever certain in mm. football but yes it is it's a huge deal and it took uh, a lot of uh, tweaking and restructuring from GMAX Media the production company that's taken this on and basically it comes down to the generosity of Football New South Wales who has actually funded this because they are so keen to push the the grassroots football product out there uh, now with World Cup rights remind me guys 2013 did yeah. they come up again yeah. um, they are obviously with the World Cup rights with SBS at the moment the A-League and the qualifiers are with, with Fox Sports but there's certainly been a lot of free-to-air interest in sharing those A-League rights mm. and the qualifiers Fox Sports paid a lot of money and they want exclusivity but it can only be a great thing for the FFA to have free-to-air clamouring to uh, share those rights as well I mean, certainly when, when they did the deal you know, whenever it was 2005, 2006, you know, there was no one else. There were no other takers. And so therefore... Well, it was pre-qualification. Um, qualification. So, you know, Fox Sports, uh, you know, certainly have got to be commended for, for pretty much securing the A-League. Definitely. Know, that, that, that money made sure that the A-League was an ongoing viable concern. Um, but obviously now that they've got a much bigger property on their hands, and I think they will appreciate that. that and, and I think the interesting thing here is, is Ben Buckley, who's now the um, CEO for Football Federation Australia was was instrumental in the last AFL TV deal, which was a shared pay per view free to air. And I think Andy, that's how it's going to work because no free to air network has the platform, certainly not at this stage, to show enough of those games. And Fox, with its three sport channels, are probably then the people that can fit it in. So I think possibly. giving a couple of games of the round to a free-to-air network yeah, or even because you a, do get a much wider audience even just a highlight show an hour's mm. highlights and one game a week and the mm. you know, Socceroos games being shared I mean certainly as an Englishman coming to Australia I couldn't believe that the national football team was not on the anti-siphon list you know, I do think so. though that um, that has in fact I know that has been discussed with various free-to-air networks a highlight game or a, a highlight show uh, but Fox quite understandably want to protect that exclusivity they paid for it absolutely you can't blame Fox's stance you know, no. they, they took a chance when no one else wanted to and, and took advantage of the fact that the, the government didn't place the, the, the national football team high enough on their agenda to make it you know that it had to stay on free to air so which certainly shows an element of naivety about how big they could be and I think they've all realised that and that's another thing you'll see in the first episode of this program is uh, Prime Minister Kevin Rudd Absolutely, getting behind grassroots football. That's great. Which I mean, is no I mean, real shock, is it? No. <laughs> I think as well, I think the, 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 the encouraging thing as well is not just that Channel 9 are showing it, but the time slot they've given it. You know, they've, they've given it two o'clock right in the middle of worldwide of sport, you know, on a Sunday afternoon. And obviously, you know, the, the kids will play on a Saturday. So it's fantastic that, that, and it'd be really interesting to see the viewing figures that it gets. Because certainly if you think that the national team over the last two weeks has, has rated, what, 350 to 400,000 on, on pay-per-view, what that could have been if it would have been on Channel 9 at, you know, 8 o'clock at night. So I think oh, massive, it'd yeah. be a good t- toe in the water for Channel 9 to mm-hmm. see the potential of football. And, and to be fair to them, they've given it a good whack to make it work. Well, it sounds like 
a great show and we'll all be tuning in and we'll urge all our listeners to tune in as well it's uh, football stars of tomorrow Sunday 2pm on channel 9 that's about it for this week thanks a lot for joining us on the 442 insider podcast don't forget you can listen to us on the interweb at au.442.net or subscribe to us on iTunes thanks very much for listening thanks to the guys and especially to, for Stephanie for coming in Welcome. and uh, don't forget to check in with us next week 442 insider is a Helms Media Solutions production visit helms.com.au to find out more about our services